Hello, and welcome to the Bible Difficulties and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Smith. Today, we explore a verse that a large number of biblical scholars in the late 19th and early 20th century were regarding as nothing more than myth. However, thanks to modern-day textual interpretation, scholarship is shining a new light on the reliability of the story as described in Genesis 2.8. And how does the story of the Garden of Eden run afoul of today's view of a social justice Jesus? As usual, I'll present a number of different opinions from my research and conclude with my own thoughts. Show notes will include links to all we discuss. Are you ready to dive in? All right, let's learn together. Let's take a look at Genesis 2.8 from the New Living Translation. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, the problem with this verse, and we'll go back to the big book of Bible difficulties as our starting point, and I quote, The Bible declares that God planted a garden eastward in Eden, but there is no archaeological evidence that any such place existed. Is this just a myth? All right, so as we've discussed before, current Christian apologetic scholarship is helping to debunk many late 19th and early 20th century false teachings of both agnostics and biblical scholars. So many people at that time, and a few today, confidently viewed these stories as myths designed for a moral lesson. Even William F. Albright, the Dean of Biblical Archaeology from Johns Hopkins University, who helped verify the accuracy of the Dead Sea Scrolls, believed Eden was a myth back in 1922 when he wrote, and I quote, Since the story of Eden is evidently a legend of composite character, perhaps folkloristic, but certainly embellished by the erudition of some scribe or school with somewhat hazy geographical conceptions, we must clearly follow the usual methods of comparative mythology and folklore. Accordingly, we may feel assured that the story of Eden arose in Palestine under Mesopotamian influence and, when embellished with geographical details, was amalgamated with Egyptian conceptions, thus illustrating the interplay of Egyptian and Mesopotamian elements in Palestinian syncretism most beautifully, close quote. <laughs> now, that was a mouthful. And to me, it was a bit condescending as well. That being said, what we're finding today is that archaeological evidence surrounding so much of the Old Testament is now testifying to the veracity of the written word of the Bible. Now, you really should watch the series from the Crosses Examined website called Digging Up the Bible for some really solid examples. Today, a large number of agnostics and biblical scholars are starting to move away from studying the, quote, myth, unquote, of Genesis to now studying Jesus as some sort of social justice warrior, as we see in the He Gets Us advertising television commercials, as well as being taught in overtly liberal college schools of theology. Now, just a quick aside. If a college school of theology doesn't offer like a doctoral specialization in something like Christian apologetics, but does offer a doctoral specialization in something like justice and peacemaking, it's a college school of theology to run away from and avoid at all costs, as the teaching is not grounded in scripture, but in simply fitting Jesus into the cultural norms of today. It's really just nothing more than incorrect and bad theology. Now, don't worry, I'm going to tie this view to what I just discussed to the Garden of Eden here at the end. Now, is there an answer for theologians who view this story as a myth? Let's begin with the solution, again, back from the big book of Bible difficulties, and I quote, First of all, we would not expect any archaeological evidence since there is no indication that Adam and Eve made pottery or built durable buildings. Second, 
There is geographical evidence of Eden since two of the rivers mentioned still exist today, the Tigris and Euphrates. Further, the Bible even locates them in Assyria, which is in present-day Iraq. Finally, whatever evidence there may be for the Garden of Eden was probably destroyed by God at the time of the flood, close quote. Whoa. Now, there's a cliffhanger there on the flood. Don't worry, we'll explore the flood in more detail around four months or so now in another podcast, so stay tuned. So let's begin by exploring some additional research, much more current than the myth research of 1922, into an actual real Garden of Eden. From a December 16, 2015 article titled, Was Adam's Garden of Eden Real? And I quote from the article, This passage indicates a real garden with a real river. The compass direction east is specified for Eden. What would a compass direction mean if Eden was mythical? Landmark rivers flowing from Eden's river are named. Physical lands where they flowed are named and described. Even today, man still uses rivers as boundaries and landmarks for real physical locations. Close quote. Now, continuing on in a later passage from the article was Adam's Garden of Eden real? And I quote, It is clear that the Bible teaches that the Garden of Eden was a historical and geographic reality. It was a real place on earth. Jesus believed what Moses wrote in Genesis, and he expected others to believe it also, which we see in John 5, verses 46 through 47. Those who claim Jesus as Lord must accept his view as their own, close quote. Dr. Norman Geisler adds in a May 15, 2018 article titled, Was the Garden of Eden a Real Place? Tying in the New Testament as well here, and I quote, The New Testament refers to, play, to events that took place in Eden as historical. It speaks of the creation of Adam and Eve, both in Matthew and 1 Timothy, and their fall into sin, 1 Timothy and Romans, that these literal historical events need a literal geographic place in which to occur. The scriptures affirm that God will one day restore human beings in a literal resurrection body to a literal restored paradise. We find that in Romans and Revelation. In the, in the quote. Now back to me. As you read through the New Testament, which we will cover much later down the road, not once does Jesus correct or disavow any of Moses' writing in the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. Therefore, one must conclude that Jesus believes in an actual Garden of Eden. However, referencing back to Dr. Geisler's article, I do take some exception with his conclusion of a literal restored paradise. The Bible does not say we will live in a new Garden of Eden. God has, God has something much better and completely perfect for us. The Garden of Eden must have been wonderful, but it was not a complete and perfect paradise. The word Eden actually translates to the English word delight. It was not and should not be thought of, again, as a perfect place. While we do not know why and when the specific circumstances of Satan's expulsion from heaven, we know immediately evil already existed when Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden. Think about a couple of examples. First, Satan was already present in the Garden of Eden and looking for a way to tempt the fall of man. And second, there was a tree in the Garden of Eden called the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. Evil was present and awaiting discovery. Not recreating this example of a Garden of Eden makes sense to me, as we find in 1 Corinthians 2.9, where it describes a place God has prepared for us that we cannot even imagine its perfection. The Garden of Eden was not perfection. It was just a closed system designed by God for Adam and eventually Eve. 
both in the Garden of Eden and after their expulsion. Take a look at a couple of examples. Number one, Adam had to work the Garden of Eden for food. His punishment was he had to work even harder now for food after leaving the Garden of Eden. And two, for Eve, childbirth was already designed with pain. Her punishment after leaving the Garden of Eden was that God said he will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. So again, work was present. Pain was present in the Garden of Eden. This is not a perfect place. However, we do have hope for a new perfect place in heaven that as 1 Corinthians described, we can't even imagine. Now, the view I just described is echoed by Bob Perry from a May 4th, 2022 article titled, Was God's Original Creation Perfect? And I quote, if that's the case, and I believe it is, the Garden of Eden could not have been a perfect paradise, not if something far better is coming in the future. And there's more. Adam was always required to tend to the garden. The fall did not impose that work on him. It just made his work more. The curse on Eve did not originate the pain of childbirth. It increased the pain she would experience. For each of these reasons, it seems pretty clear that the garden cannot have been a place of absolute perfection. Satan and evil and pain cannot exist in any place that God says is perfect. Now, if you're wondering why I had that earlier aside about bad theology being taught in some of today's college schools of theology, the Garden of Eden is such a good example of theologians using it as a myth to drive narratives contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and why Christianity, Christianity offers us our best hope. I think Jimmy Wallace from a July 2nd, 2018 article entitled, What Ancestry DNA Kids Reveal About God, Our Past and the Way Forward, explains why properly understanding Christianity in the Garden of Eden is so powerful for what we face today. He writes, and I quote, Christianity teaches that all humans were created by God and descended from a single pair, Adam and Eve. This means we are all genetically linked as siblings, cousins, and distant relatives. According to Christianity, if our DNA technology was capable of even greater precision and historical distance, it would ultimately identify the Garden of Eden as our place of origin. The biblical truth about our past can help us navigate the future in a way that Darwinian explanations cannot. If Christianity is true, there are no black, brown, red, yellow, or white races. There's only one race, the human race. All the physical differences we see today are simply the product of geographic adaptation. According to Christianity, all of us are created in the image of God, which we see in Genesis 1.27. And while we are often tempted to look at each other's outward appearance, God looks on the heart, as we find in 1 Samuel 16.7. God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That's from Acts 10, 34 through 35, the New American Standard Bible. The Christian worldview tells us something about ourselves that modern DNA tests cannot. We trace our origin back to the same place, from the same parents, for the same purpose. Our inclinations towards selfish pride and ethnic division are therefore misguided, close quote. Okay, back to me. So you see, the Garden of Eden demonstrates our shared humanity, shared origin story all of us made in the image of God. That's why today's college schools of theology and television commercials, treating Jesus now as a social justice warrior, run contrary to both the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and our shared origins as revealed in the Garden of Eden. My hope is that strong Christian apologetics and biblical interpretation will render this fad of Christian education similar to what happened with the mythical understanding of the Garden of Eden. Now, to summarize my thoughts here, the Garden of Eden describes our beginning as a human race in a specific location, a shared common heritage for all human beings. I think we're on solid ground to believe the Garden of Eden is real for these reasons. It starts with a specific direction for its readers, east. It gives landmark rivers, which even after geological changes over the millennia, several still exist today. And finally, Jesus himself believed the Garden of Eden to be real. My conclusion, it's a real place by the preponderance of the evidence, but not a place we can locate as, again, no pottery or durable buildings are mentioned, so then there is nothing to, quote, discover, unquote. So you may be wondering about stories like a talking snake and eating, eating forbidden fruit, etc., from the Garden of Eden. Now, patience, we're going to get to those in a future podcast. Next week, we'll jump right back in again to another problematic verse as we look at Genesis 2.17. Why didn't Adam die the day he ate forbidden fruit, as God said he would? You may reach us at our website, babbledifficultiesandanswers.podbean.com, or you may reach out to me directly at our email address, babbledifficultiesandanswers at gmail.com, with any questions, comments, concerns, bits of righteous indignation, or just to say hi. Also, please like and subscribe to this podcast, and also write a review and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or your podcast venue of choice. It really does help get the word out about the most amazing book ever written. Again, I'm Lance Smith. Until next time, I wish you good luck, good health, and God bless. So long, everybody.